Welcome into the Storied Podcast. We've been gone for a while, but we're going to share our fall success stories. Break it down in a two-part episode, first starting with my Minnesota public land whitetail, and then rolling into Rubens, Montana elk hunt. Well, welcome in everybody to the Storied Podcast. We've been gone for six weeks on various missions, hunting, um, tourism out west and stuff, but we're here today and we're going to talk about our success uh, prior to that in the fall, why we were kind of gone. Um, one in the western United States with Reuben and uh, an encounter with a big bull elk, and then also uh, mine with a nice public land whitetail. So we'll start it off like we always do, is we'll talk about what we've been up to and what we've been eating. So Reuben, you can take our way on that. All right, I'm going to have a little bit of a disclaimer, as I wouldn't say it was a big bull elk. I was encountering hey, big bull elk, I'm, but the one I'm I trying killed. To sell. You got to sell it. got to sell it. <laughs> I was close to big bull elk. However, uh, I did kill a not huge bull elk, but not the tiniest one, I guess, either. Anyways, um, so yeah, well, all of September, I was up to the uh, the old elk hunting. And uh, it was actually a fantastic month of elk hunting because I ended up filling my tag on September 29th, which means I got a lot of great hunting in and filled my tag. So that's about all you can ask for as a elk hunter, a deer hunter, a bird hunter, any kind of hunter. If it takes all season and is successful, that's kind of what you're after. Get as much as much experience and as many stories as you can while you're out there. So, um, but since then, uh, I've been bear hunting a lot. I've been really wanting to get a fall bear, and unfortunately, it looks like it's not gonna happen this year. Um, although I did go out for bear about three weeks straight, um, not hunting all three weeks, but I was only bear hunting the times I did hunt during those three weeks. And I, I saw a lot of bears and I had a couple of stocks. One was a really, really wish I would have had that opportunity back. And the other one was uh, more of a tough, tough one that might not have worked out, but, or it didn't work out, but it was a really big bear. So that was exciting. Um, however, it is uh, currently snowy, and it was 18 degrees this morning in Missoula, Montana, and up in the mountains, it's about three, and it's been that way for a few days now, so the bears, I would imagine, are not going to be moving around too much anymore. So, unfortunately, I think that my time's probably up on that one, and it's rolling into whitetail and mule deer rut soon, so i uh, going to switch gears to that. Since we talked for food... I've eaten a lot because if you talk about six weeks and not all I eat is yeah, a lot exactly. of game, that's that's a yep. lot. That's a lot of meals. But I'll just uh, go over what I had for my birthday barbecue because my birthday was October fifteenth. October fifteenth, yeah. Had uh, had a bunch of friends over at the place and uh, had a smorgasbord of wild game dishes. Um, number one, I made, which I think this was the best out of all the ones I made. Even though chili is, you know, pretty standard, it's it's hard to beat a good chili. If you have a good chili, people are going to like that over a lot of other things. If you have a bad chili, it's not that great. But if it's good Especially chili. with cold weather coming in, you know, yeah. great, great dish for the fall here. 
Yeah. Well, the funny thing was, though, that on my birthday, it wasn't cold at all. It was like 70 degrees. And even last week, it was 73 degrees opening weekend here in Montana. And then just like it does in the Rocky. freezing. Yep. Just like it does in the Rocky Mountain West, it's not really much of a gradual thing. Went from 73 degrees on Sunday to uh, about 15 degrees on Thursday. So, um. But yeah, so I made a, a really nice smoky uh, Chipotle style chili with, um, I think I made that out of pronghorn. So some pronghorn left over from last year. Uh, and that was that was a crowd favorite. Always garnish your chili with all the fixings. You got cilantro, you got jalapeno, you got cheddar cheese, sour cream, crunch up some, some tortilla chips, hot sauce if you want it. But it was, it was spicy enough you didn't need any hot sauce. Um, Along with that, in the slow cooker as well, I made a turkey leg pozole, which I think that I've talked about before on this podcast, but it's basically slow cooking some turkey legs and shredding them and a bunch of salsa verde, diced green chilies with some sautéed onion and cumin and garlic and uh, some hominy and, and stock. And it turns out real good. And kind of do the same thing like with the chilies. Uh, the garnishes are, I don't want to say they're half of it, but they're a good part of it. The garnish, good garnish, you know, you need some good garnish for that kind of stuff. But then in addition to the slow cooker dishes, uh, we uh, grilled up an elk roast. That was a very basic salt, pepper, some chili, some brown sugar, you know, rubbed it down, cooked that up on the grill. Also had some black bear sliders. So I made some small burger patties out of black bear. And uh, cooked those on the grill as well, seasoned up. And then on it, we had uh, blueberry bourbon barbecue sauce that I made, along with homemade coleslaw on a Hawaiian bun. And and that was actually, that was probably also up there with the chilies. A lot of people wanted to try that and thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah. What did everybody think about the bear? Were they intimidated? Usually some of those animals they can be intimidated by, but... I I think our I think our gathering had a pretty healthy uh, healthy appetite for new things. So um, yeah, honestly, Maddie's the the only one that really wasn't about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I think it was because of the the trichinosis potential. But um, yeah. the other the other people they had it, and a couple of them had not had bear before, besides you know jerky. Uh, mm-hmm. we talked about before how, if you've had anything that's in jerky form, you haven't had it. It's just dried up salted mm-hmm. meat, but, um, yeah, they loved it. And, uh, those, those were a crowd favorite too. And then additional to that, I made some smoked kokanee, uh, chip dip with some yeah. sour cream Didn't... and, uh, cream cheese and dill and all that lemon. And you've mentioned that on the podcast right before, I think at Did kokanee. I? Or the salmon dip? Yeah, maybe. I think, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But anyways, we had a wide selection. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that that seems like a heck of a a charcuterie. Would that be the word? A smorgasbord charcuterie? Can you use that? I don't think so. I don't think it's interchangeable. Well. (laughs) All right. What have you you had lately, Ryan? that, That was a good spread. Well. I've been busy as heck, you know, with uh, stocking and vacationing a little bit. So um, we've just last night had uh, the old basic, you know, the old butt cheek kind of of the whitetail, nice round rump roast. 
Um, just kind of the old basic family tradition uh, with a Lipton onion soup packet, some water, add it in there. And then I went to the garden and since it's um, late fall now, potatoes are still underground just sitting there. So dug all those and, and dug the carrots and made a roast. And actually uh, the potatoes I didn't put in, I just whipped them up and made what you call uh, uh, mashed potatoes and gravy and did the old basic that. And next week I'll do another basic but amazing um, uh, slow cooked meal with the with the shanks. But but yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't really done anything crazy lately. So just whitetail in my freezer now. I was going kind of through a meat crisis. That would be a crisis that you do not have any wild game in your freezer. And all I had is like perch fillets. So that's about it. Ooh, wow. Yeah, you're really down there yep. when you're getting down to perch fillets. I, I think like multiple weeks ago, I probably was didn't have any like red meat in the freezer wild game wise because I just ate like the last elk in there. And I'm like, ooh, I have nothing. I need to shoot something. I was going to shoot a doe, but ended up shooting a buck. So. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know what's crazy though to me is that you still have the perch fillets as your freezer fossils. Normally, I don't. I eat those up real quick. They're yeah, they're pretty pretty fresh. Uh, they're probably only a month old. Oh, um, but yeah, I just had so many that I ate some and then I threw them in a giant gallon bag. So, dang, we'll eat those. You had a good you had a good perch fishing then, huh? Yeah, that was my cousin. He gave me some fish. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, so obviously, um, as you just alluded to, not really alluded to, you just said you shot a buck. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, I was, I was pretty jacked to see you shoot that buck. I think I was telling you that when you sent me a Snapchat of a dead deer on the ground, it was, uh, the deer and somebody else behind it. So I, I, I messaged yeah. you back and I was like, is that your buck or is that someone else's buck? And then you weren't answering me for like two hours and I was getting all excited. Cause I was like, well, that probably means it's his buck. If he hasn't, I was going to say, I got I got to pack that sucker out. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that on this first part of our fall success uh, episodes here. And we're going to roll right into my elk uh, on the next one. We're making up for lost time recording these both today. And they'll probably be mm. out pretty close together. But we're going to talk about this awesome story of uh, Ryan's 2023 whitetail public land buck. Yeah, a buck and a bull. But before that, I guess we'll talk kind of what we've been up to since since we haven't done that. And um, I guess, Ruben, you can go first, and then I can roll into that story, I guess, first if you want to. Yeah, well, I think I, I went over kind of what the meal thing, like a lot of what I've been up oh, to yeah. as far as my hunting and stuff goes. Um, most recently, I was in a tree stand this morning for the first time this year trying to shoot a doe. But also, if a big buck were to walk through early in the rut, uh, it was cold. It was 18 degrees, and I just had some uh, a lot of turkeys turkeys come through, but no uh, no deer. I saw deer up on the hillside, but it, I think it was so cold that they were staying up on the hillside in the sunlight and feeding. Because yeah. normally, they come down there in bed mid-morning, but I think they were staying up there because it was cold. Um, yeah. But anyways, I was going to shoot a doe, and uh, I only have my general deer tag. Uh, there's a bonus tag that I've drawn the last two years for either sex whitetail. And so I've been able to both whitetail and mule deer hunt. Um, now it's just one tag, so I have to 
choose either or. And I really want to shoot a mule deer because I haven't shot a mule deer in two years. And I'm kind of like getting hungry for mule deer meat. A lot of people don't like mule deer meat. I love it. It's like it's like a darker red meat than whitetail. Mm-hmm. A little flavor in it. Pre-sage infused. You go to the grocery store to buy sage to cook? Well, you don't need to with a mule deer. It's just already in there. And yep, uh, mm-hmm. But then, uh, yeah, so this morning I was in the tree stand. Last, yesterday I was on a really hard hike. You've been up there a little bit, Ryan, on that ridge. Yep. Uh, seven miles, 3,000 feet vert, and I was in about eight inches of snow the whole time. And I uh, could have shot two deer. Oh, well, I could have shot more than two deer, but there are two legal bucks I could have shot. Um, but I didn't because they weren't quite big enough. One was a small three-point just inside the ears, and then the other one was a decent forky, um, which – that one I was lined up on crosshairs on him at 168 yards, just just practicing, getting lined up on a deer and hoping yeah. maybe a different one stepped out. But uh, definitely, so you know, you always hear people like, oh yeah, an eight-pointer came through and I could have shot him, but it wasn't quite big enough. Well, you know what probably happened there is you probably saw it walking quick at 50 yards and there's no way you could have shot that deer, but you just said you did. Yeah. I'm also guilty of that. This time, I actually was lined up on this deer and could have pulled the trigger, but... Yeah. not not gonna do it because i'm going to central montana in a couple weeks to try to hunt uh broken country for big bucks or trying to shoot a big buck on that ridge but um yeah so that's what i've been up to this past weekend but i was talked about kind of this past couple months what i was up to earlier um i think that it's been long enough since you shot that buck that we should just probably maybe roll into that story because lately you've been just kind of tourist in it right yeah, so luckily I did shoot that deer because I had a wedding in Colorado, so I spent the last 10 days, pretty much two weeks there, and then got back and hit the road again stocking fish, so really haven't been doing much. But yeah, currently right now, it's it's hard to just be sitting inside watching football or doing stuff because it is primo nice cold front a little bit of snow on the ground it's like ooh, deer running you're seeing on facebook and instagram all these bucks dying so if you're not out there hopefully everybody gets out there but but yeah i guess the story of that buck was yeah this this year bow season um because last year i didn't i kind of had a rough one you know you always have one of those kind of rough patches of season i didn't get out much um and just didn't see much action last year. But luckily this year, you know, I'm already spoiling the story. I, I got one. But I also learned a lot of information the year prior and had this one young kind of eight-pointer, probably three and a half on there. And it was kind of my first year hunting that area. So um, once it got into the off season, I could really get in there and dissect this area. So to leading to try to shoot this animal, um, I got into that area in the spring and kind of late winter to really see where deer were bedding. And then also like, how are they moving through this property? Cause I always feel each one of public, there's so many different features wherever you are, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all these different areas, they're using it differently. People are hunting it differently. So it's nice to figure out like what the deer are doing on each one of those properties. Cause they're all, they're all different. You can't treat them the same. There is, but so that um so in the off season i just went off hiking it i found a lot of intel gps and beds and kind of what to uh what to do travel the crops anticipating the next year all that 
kind of small stuff that actually helps you in making decisions on where to sit um, time after time. But so early season this year, I got out there and started running cameras like like normal. And the first buck actually that showed up was that eight pointer that I found the sheds from in the spring. <laughs> and then also just saw a lot of last year and I'm like, okay, that's good. I have a lot of information on this deer. If he's doing the same thing as last year, hopefully I'll get some daylight um, activity on that public and hopefully a shot to shoot him. And then I had another large one that showed up that I had last year. So he was kind of, there was, those were kind of my one and two on this, on this piece of public. But, um, do with all that spring scouting i mean they always say a lot of people i hear a lot of hunters say um like oh had them all summer and then all of a sudden hunting season came and boom they're gone you know the antlers get hard horn they're gone and it's like okay that's a deer going through like a fall shift you know crops are different um pressure is now on so deer shift back into timber and other things and they move around differently so I kind of moved my cameras with all the history I learned the year before based on that into some of those areas. And, and, uh, really I started getting that buck on, on, uh, on camera a lot. But prior to this, I also on another piece of public had, um, had a buck that I saw last year and was kind of going after, after that and a wind pattern. I saw these mature bucks on and I sat it. And it ended up coming in and 18 yards away and I ended up arrowing a deer and wounding this animal and running around. And I haven't told the other story of me in Utah also wounding a nice mule deer. So um, it was already kind of a start of a rough season that carried into now 2023. And yeah, yeah Ruben, you know, it was... It yeah, was that we should, we should touch on that just a little bit because... Um... I think that uh, I think that your first your first uh, deal with that mule deer was kind of like mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't say fifty fifty, but that was like a situation where something could possibly go wrong. But like it was within your range, but it was you know I think you said that deer was yeah. alert and everything and jumped the string. Yeah, uh, and then your deer. Uh, for folks that don't know, we, 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 we keep close tabs on what each other are up to and, and share a lot of info. And, uh, so I know a lot about these two situations that Ryan had going on. And the first one, I think it could have gone either way. And the second one, I have no idea how that deer isn't dead. And I think you said that multiple people who tried to help you track it also said the same thing with the amount of blood, the color of blood, like, uh, yeah, that one, I don't know. I mean, like you said, that mule deer, it was more of the, you know, there's always small things once you get to that moment where that buck or that animal, that target animal, you're going to try to shoot, um, you're going to pull the trigger. And the small thing there was me trying to screw with my camera and trying to get it on. He would have never known I would have been there. I could have pulled back and probably shot at 44 yards and put it right down in the ringer. But I think since I was moving and trying to flip that dang camera on, uh, I, he, he saw me and I was drawn back and I shot and, and I think there's he was a, alert. And he, there's he a big, spring, big but. difference, big, big difference, especially if you're getting in <laughs> yeah. new and bow hunting, there is a big, big difference between a deer that doesn't know you're there and a deer that does know you're there. Even if they're still standing still and not doing anything that, that arrow 
you know, they're gonna they're gonna move quite a bit before the arrow gets there if they are if they have you pegged. Um, yeah. But sometimes they don't. It, it's it's just a higher it's a higher risk shot probably. Not that you can't make that shot, but you know that that's a potential that that's gonna happen in that situation. But anyway, yeah. so going back to this story, Ryan's got a tough season start. Uh, he actually he has he's been in he's been executing everything perfectly, just having bad luck on the actual shots. Um, which yeah, is that, one that, I don't even know how that was bad luck, but yeah, that's that's the thing. And even on that whitetail, I don't know what happened. I heard the bloom meal kick ran off, blood everywhere, bubbly. I don't know, but. That's the thing. It, the 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 season started out rough. The year before, 2022, I learned a lot of information, how deer were moving. It was just me trying to manipulate the wind in hill country and getting to be more familiar with all that. And that's what I feel like I would probably scare deer just being in stand. And finally, 2023, it started out perfect. Like I was manipulating the wind in mountains and I was starting to learn it a lot better and starting to not be a master at it, but be a lot more confident on, in my setups. And it all, it, that worked out that other white tail that I wounded white worked out. And I, I also tracking, I, I tracked those deer for miles and like long ranges. And that's how I felt confident with some of those, like that one that I shot the white tail and I've actually bumped them alive the second day. And I'm like, okay, he, he might actually be fine. And hopefully another hunter could get him. Uh, or me, but I'm tagged out now. But so leading in to now going after that eight pointer, I was pretty distraught. And so, like I said earlier, um, I checked a camera that I had historically, um, this big boy, and then also this eight pointer that I knew was alive. And I knew this time of year, the first of October to like the 15th, they were in there heavy. So I'm like, I got to get my butt in there. So I'm like, I hunted a different spot and I think I was too far away. I was hunting this sort of pinch point bluff gap where this rock edge came up and it forced these deer right up to me. And that's where I was sitting and I didn't see anything. And, but then after I was sitting in the evening, I checked my camera in the dark and I'm like, boom, he's on there. They're on there. But it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. So what I thought, I'm like, those deer are farther, bedded farther than what I think, you know, I last year, they might've been right here, but something has happened and I think they're farther away. So looking at this cold front that was coming in and this Northwest wind and looking at this whole lay of the land, I'm like, okay, there's two spots that this deer, if he is on public, that he is going to be. And this is based off of my spring scouting and where beds are. I'm like, there's a rock grove right here off of this point that was perfect i saw some beds it was gnarly overhead cover it was just amazing stuff or he's up this valley on a northwest wind and he's coming all the way down and hitting his camera at 10 30 so i'm like if he's i'm worried if he's on that private coming into the public i'm not i wouldn't be able to get him anyway he'd probably be there at dark and i would be walking out and he'd bust bust and i probably wouldn't even know that so i'm like i gotta go to this one spot and truly i think that's the spot because like i was saying ryan i always heard this thing i'm starting to go off of now is the three reasons why you're sitting up in that stand you got to have three reasons if you don't have three reasons don't waste your time and go scouting and try to find those reasons 
And on this, on this, on this deer, really, it was kind of food. So food, there was green right there, big white oak grove, acorns dropping. It sounded still like it was raining. And then also, like I was saying earlier, Northwest wind, it played out perfect for bedding, the cover, that rock edge. They could see it was kind of a pinch point where all the people off of the public would have to go to. And he was just off. It was an overlooked little spot. And then also based off of coming out of that bed, there was a terrain feature that forced him up to this edge where I could sit and then also dump my wind over to where I traveled from. So it was kind of my three reasons why I should be there. <laughs> and so I walked in there, good access where I didn't lay any ground scent down. And, um, oh, and then I set up my sticks and my um, saddle and got up in the tree, probably 3.30 or so, all set up, had the camera equipment. Um, how, I, I was going to ask you, how slow did you walk in there? Oh, when, when you're walking into a stand set up like that, what are you, what are you doing? Because you're thinking that he's probably bedded somewhere nearby, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, within 100 yards. I found kind of that bed that I found in the spring. I'm like, he's right in this little zone, I think. If he is, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to get to 100 yards with there. So it took me, it took me an hour and a half and I didn't have much to travel. Um, and it was, this spot is hard to get to in some spots, but I actually shot him not too far off of that access road <laughs> or the access. Cause you take easements through and then all of a sudden you get to this spot where it funnels down where every public land hunter has to go into that before they get into a bigger piece. And he was just off of that. But if you had gone in the normal straight way, you would have busted him out. Oh no, I totally went totally around and did a zigzag and like no, tried but to, like if you, if you to, were yeah. if you were an average hunter, not thinking about yep. these kind of things, and you were like, oh, go go here. That is like the way people would get to the spot. And yep, if you everybody, went that way, of, he would have seen you. Yep, exactly. A lot of people use the bottom. They go off of there, use the bottom, and just easy ease their way up and. And I couldn't do that because he would have saw me, smelled me, heard me, did something. So my, yeah, access was flawless. It was kind of one of those things that he was in a vulnerable position in an area where I could still get in there. It was like, no one, no one's really been hunting it. There has been hunters in there, but no one's been hunting that area. So that's kind of why I sat up there and it took me, yeah, it takes me a while. I take a few steps and then I just sit there and kind of look, look at my map, plan my next step. That's usually what I do. I plan my next five or six steps. And then also having that saddle set up, like I used to have a stand last year and clink, clink. And it's like, oh, this is terrible. That saddle, I can get three sticks up, clip in and they can't hear me. So I was suspecting I was pretty close to that deer and I ended up, I was, but so I, I got all set up, everything kind of checking the wind with wind checker and then also just feeling it. And I'm like, this is perfect. It's a consistent wind. If they come up and come right in front of me, they're, they're a dead deer off of this green field. Um, so I, all of a sudden I heard something to, uh, to the North straight North from me. Um, and I looked up and all of a sudden I just, all I see is these antlers just like kind of eat, you know, eating, they're just not moving too much, but I'm like, holy shit, that's that big eight. That's the buck that I'm after. I'm like, sweet. And then I see another deer's feet. That's probably like 70 yards away from me right now. 
and he's down in this wash. He might have came out of that bed where I thought he was. I don't know. This is all um, assuming. And then he kind of came down through that second other pinch point that was farther away, and then he was coming up towards me. So there was two bucks. It was him and then another nice nine point. And so they were just slowly, slowly just feeding and every little noise, they would just kind of look up and just be looking around, looking around like what's going on. You can sell, they would be trying to smell some stuff and just slowly poking. So they were just sitting there eating acorns for about an hour, probably off 70 yards away to the north of me. Um, and they just slowly are working up this hill and I'm okay. If these deer work down below me, if too far past me, they're going to get my wind, but I do have one window here. If they drop any lower and get down, they're probably going to win me, but I'm hoping not this little buck, this nine point, I was probably, you know, 120, 130. He was moseying up that hill too. And this looked like this eight pointer was just staying right behind him, like a ways behind him and just feeding behind him. And so they kept feeding, feeding. All of a sudden, this nine point comes up to about 20 yards. And he's working up kind of fast now. And I'm like, okay, now I he can't. I, I actually walked in this way a little farther down. And I'm like, crap, if he jumps on this top rim trail and walks farther, he might get my ground set. I was worried about, and then also I was worried about moving because I was probably only 15 feet up in this tree. And this nine point is... 20 yards now he's like 15 yards away and he's just slowly eating as slow as he was coming up that hill and that eight point just sat down there he worked up kind of to the butt of that edge but then he just sat in that thick stuff and he just kind of sat there for the longest time and was just eating eating so I just didn't even move I just focused on that eight point and I'm like wherever I have a hole where I could shoot him when he comes up that's where I'm focused right now so I don't have to move or anything my bow's in my hand Release is clipped in, cameras pointed in a different direction, actually, at this nine point right now, because I don't want to move. And uh, luckily, that nine point just kind of takes a, a right out to the trail and out to that green field. And I'm like, okay, he's out of the picture for now. Now I got one deer to focus on, and it looks like he's following the same trail as what that nine point did. So I had one really nice gap to my left, which is facing west. Um, and I'm like, okay, 20 yards, he comes up, I'm pulling back. I'm going to let him have it. So he's working up there. Like, perfect. He's working through that same trail at nine point does working up thick cover. And I was looking at where he was now he's in the opening where I could potentially get a shot 20 yards away. And he's sitting there and I could just see that big hoop frame, 18 inches wide, tall, just just a nice big eight pointer, huge, nice, nice eight pointer. <laughs> and so I'm like, should I take that shot? And I'm like, no, I just wounded two deer this year. I'm waiting for a good shot. And so all of a sudden where he was going to step and have more of a uh, opening over his vitals, like a good size of the whole vitals. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this shot. And all of a sudden he just like makes it and lays down. And I'm like, like a, crack. like a what? Like, he, he made like what? he made he made a some noise? like noise like oh like I just laid down or something it was not even huh. like a grunt or just a old man cough <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it was Let's take a load but off it, oh. 
Because I, I, I heard it down. before. <laughs> I heard it before when I first got in stand. Like, I, I don't even know what the heck it was. It was like a <clears throat> like cough. Huh. And and I'm like, what the hell was that? That sounds like a deer. And then, sure, shit, it might have been him. 100 yards bedded, probably. <laughs> and um, so he laid down 20 yards. I don't even think it was 20 yards. Probably 19 to 18 yards away. So dang close. He laid down in this thick crap. 20 yards away from me and I'm like okay what do I do at at that time it was probably quarter quarter to six and I'm like okay I got an hour and some change left I'm like he's he would imagine you would think he would get up I don't know so I just sat there still it was cold this cold front came in so I remember just trying to control my breathing because it was it was a calm steady breeze and the the breeze was perfect coming right from him northwest he was kind of quartering into the wind while he was moving both of those bucks were and um i could just smell him like <laughs> just the musk of that buck because he was directly upwind of me that, and I'm like, that's this- something that's that yeah sorry to interrupt but i can't i can't under or i can't overstate how like that gets your uh predator senses just so heightened when I yeah. walk into an area that the deer are rutting hard and you can actually smell like a scrape or something like that, or if I, you know, walk in an area and, and get a whiff of elk, or even yesterday when I was up hunting mule deer down one of them, you can get that kind of like musky deer, almost skunky like mule deer smell. Dude, you you like feel like you're ready to ready to go oh harvest yeah. something. You're just like this, all juiced up. This one wasn't as musky as like rut because I've smelled them like run by in the swamp and then all of a sudden you have an upward thermal and all of a sudden you get oof just hit with the yeah. musk and it's like holy crap that thing smells like reeks of I don't even know urine all sorts of pheromones going on but yeah you just smell them for like constantly I'm like okay the wind is perfect yeah <laughs> I can smell him big time and he's just laying there and it was cool because he would kind of get tired and you could just see his just antlers kind of just go down like in, in the trees. And then he'd kind of hear something pick his head back up and look, and then he'd just scratch his back. And I thank the Lord. I thought I was praying while I was up there. I'm like, I don't care if I shoot this animal. This is the coolest thing I've ever been witness to a mature four-year-old public land deer just bedded down 20 yards from me. <laughs> Like, this is sweet. And so that nine point actually came back on the edge of the field, and you could see him just pick his head up and right to him. Like, what is that? And you could see him trying to smell, and then he smelled and went back to normal. But it was the days, the day was going on. I was just sitting there still, not even moving because I could hear myself just breathe. I wasn't too nervous at this point since that buck was, I've seen him for the last two hours now. And I was just trying to control my breathing because if I'd breathe too loud or too out of my mouth, <clears throat> just mm-hmm. keep it in my nose. Like he, he I think he could kind of hear it. And so I'm like, all right, I'm planning like when he gets up, where am I going to have a shot? What's going on? So I'm trying to all plan this in my head. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait for him to get up and walk a few steps. And then once it started getting darker, he stayed there for an hour. So right now it's quarter to seven. I'm like, shit, it's getting darker. I think that buck's going to just stay there till dark. I'm like, what happens when that happens, you know? <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, in your saddle, you can kind of like crouch down and push your knees against a tree to kind of swing forward a little bit. 
So I swung forward just a little bit because I'm like, okay, now I'm in a position where if that deer gets up, period, I should be able to shoot him. So I swung down and I put my knees on the tree and he kind of heard that. You see him kind of lift his head and I'm like, oh shit, he's kind of looking my way and he's just looking, looking and I'm in position now. And all of a sudden he just (laughs) gets up, you know, gets up slowly And so I draw back and I was looking, I'm like, he kind of got off perfect. So he got up and took a few steps, like not even a step forward. And you could see his vitals pocket right there, lungs, shoulders, everything are. And I'm already pulled back. He's looking right towards me, 20 yards, 18 yards and let it fly. And I hear the, like the, it didn't go all the way through, but I hit him and he tears off running. And all of a sudden, I don't know, I can hear other deer too and nothing. I'm like, I think I just smoked a deer right out of the dang bed, a mature buck on public. And I felt good about the shot, but now I'm second guessing everything. That's the thing that sucks. It's like I wounded deer and now I feel good. I feel everything. So I looked at my camera, went through the shot and I'm like, boom, smoked them. But then I'm like, oh, I think I smoked them, but let's see. And then I made, I think one little clink. So I waited I waited an hour and some change before I went to get him because I'm like, I'm just going to wait a long time. But when I was breaking down, like I, I just, I think opened my backpack enough. And all of a sudden I heard a, it was just like crushing. That was 15 minutes. That was at seven o'clock. And I'm like, shit, is he not dead? Like, did he take off and run down? Was, but it was like, crap. This, this was 15, 15 minutes, minutes after you shot him. I shot him. Yes. Yeah. This is exact time. And then I'm like, shit like i hear that crashing but i'm like that does hear like sound like crashing crashing like something's dead so i actually texted a buddy because i was nervous usually i don't let anybody even know where the heck i'm at not even my fiance congratulations by the way yeah i'll sell that later (laughs) (laughs) but um uh i'm like i just need another eye because i'm just nervous that i'm not going to retrieve this animal you know and so I, I went up, loaded all my stuff, all my saddle sticks, and I went back, walked all the way to the truck, emptied it, got him, walked all the way back, and then started on the trail. Beautiful blood, beautiful blood, and then he lays down. I'm like, shit, the deer laid down. I'm like, if it was a double lung, that thing probably would just ran until he ran out of wind. So I'm like, shit, I see that. And that's kind of where the bed where I suspected he was bedded, where I kind of played 100 yards off of. So I'm already 100 yards into the track. And then all of a sudden the trail goes straight downhill and all of a sudden you see the crashing and all of a sudden there he is lodged up in a tree, just crashing down the hill. And so I'm like, sweet. This is my biggest public land buck, a mature whitetail. I know it's only an eight, but it was, it was a heck of a buck. I mean, 18 wide, he's at 21 inch beams, three, 13 and a half inch twos on the one side. And that's, that's a big, nice twos. He was yeah. a big, he was a big eight. Well, so you, I think you sent me a Snapchat there, uh, probably right when he came up on him, I would guess. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I was waiting to hear back after I asked, is that your <laughs> buck for a long, long time? And I was like getting pretty, you know, I was, I was getting pretty pumped up cause, uh, you know, we were talking about how you had yeah. those two situations earlier in the Hell season. Yeah. I'm like, dang, you got to be like really deflated after that second one, especially because you had no yeah. idea that you did anything wrong on the second one. 
And yeah. and man, when you when you sent back that you got him out and it was your deer, I was freaking Maddie can tell you because I was at her place. I was going uh, yeah, pretty pretty nuts. I was pretty pumped. <laughs> it, it was a it was a super proud moment. I mean, like a lot of things. Like it's good having friends like you, and then vice versa when you shoot one. Like I'd freak out. It's like, yeah, it, like this is sweet. You know, that's that's what hunting hunting's all about is enjoying with your friends and having the same emotion that he's having success as, you know, I am and stuff, yeah. but, but yeah, I, I almost get more jazzed up on that. Yeah. 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 I also want to tell the story of the pack out. I was so, going to say, we're not done with this story, but I was just interjecting yeah. where I came in. Yeah. Cause I had, I didn't even know you were out there that night yet. I don't think I, I didn't even mm-hmm. know you were hunting. And then I got that Snapchat and I was like, Oh God, I hope he got that one. <laughs> It's kind of cool because, like, I send to you guys. I have like a little hunting group of guys that are damn good killers, you know. And I always send like, okay, what should I do? Deer here. This is my plan. This is what I think. Yeah. A bedding here, food here. What if I sit here? Wind blowing this. I think their travel is going to be this. And this one, I don't think I sent. I sent to uh, my buddy Brad. I was talking to him. He's down in Iowa. I'm like, what do you think I do? I think this deer is farther than what I think. And I'm like, I think he is right here. And he's like, that, that looks good. You know, I think if you set up here, here, I'm like, all right. So send, send the old snap, the Snapchat of the Onyx, what I'm going to do. And it's sweet when it works to a T. But yeah, well, I want to say too, on that one that you ended up not finding, um, mm-hmm. you, you did the same thing. You sent me that, you sent me that game plan with your little doodle on the Onyx. And you're like, which, which do I do? Like hang back or go aggressive? And I was kind of like, well, I think I told you kind of to like, take it a little easy if you get the same weather pattern for a few days and then uh, yeah. i sent that to you and then you sent me back one too late i just shot one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. unfortunately so your your decision worked out but unfortunately you couldn't recover it but that was pretty funny because you you snapchat me back you're like well you responded too late and i just shot one so <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but yeah so the pack out like the thing went halfway down the hill you know bluffs in minnesota are probably two to three hundred feet tall so in Minnesota, I don't, I need to totally check with the warden. I, I have, and I got the response of, you need to pack the whole entire animal out, bones and all, besides the gut pile. And that's what I got a few years ago. And then now talking to another guy, he might have made me reconsider what's going on. But so I was trying to pack the whole entire animal out, you know, probably a 200 pound deer um, with the bones and everything besides the gut pile. So I gutted it out. I actually took a hacksaw and cut right by the back, you know, by the butt, just so there's two hindquarters there. And um, actually broke those apart, stuck those in one meat pack, and then the rest of them, I didn't have another meat pack for me. I just squatted that deer, the head, shoulders, and all, rib cage and everything, squatted them, got them on my back. And then the buddy that I had, he had two hindquarters. And, um, I carried that thing up the, up the hill and all the way a mile and a half out. And I'm like, I wish we would have got a picture of that. Cause that was yeah. pretty, pretty epic that you have a, you know, 140 plus inch white tail dragging over your shoulders, everything, but the butt and that yeah, would have been pretty, pretty cool. Sweet. <laughs> so I was meaning to ask, I feel like in, when I lived in Illinois, you couldn't dismember the deer until you registered it. It's not, it wasn't the same rules, I don't think, as uh, you guys, because your rules are because of CWD. 
And in Illinois, mm-hmm. I think it was just still like, I don't know. I kind of wish some of those Midwestern states would like update their regs to allow for, because I feel like that's relatively a new thing. People doing what you're doing or what I'm doing and taking like Western hunting back to the Midwest and being like, yeah, I'll go two and a half miles in to hunt this deer. Cause I'm just going to quarter it and pack it out. Yeah. But I think yeah. in Wisconsin too, it was the same way where you, uh, you have to keep the deer whole. At least it was when you had a check station. Now you don't have to check them in. That's probably 10 yeah. years now since that's been a thing. But, but, um, yeah. So I, can I, you, can I, you quarter it or, or do you have to take out the whole damn thing? Like, you know, cut in half or whatever, like you said, like, do you have to have the whole deer there? Well, I, I hope, uh, yeah, it would be nice to quarter it. I don't know. I'm going to have to check. I am pretty good friends with the old conservation officer. I feel like I call him for every little question that I have. So yeah. I'll have to call a little more on that because yeah, it is so much nicer, you know, to cut that animal, at least leaving it not totally whole, but like taking a hacksaw like I did and just cutting the butt off and then having yeah. the whole thing yeah. whole. And that's the thing. I'm like, I wanted to cape it cause I do want to shoulder mount it. I already got a taxidermist, but yeah, I'm like, but if even with something you're not going to cape the hide itself yeah. weighs quite a bit. So yeah. like, yeah. that's what I, well, the other part about it too is in October, you said you were hunting in a cold front, but like when I was hunting and I had a similar situation where I had, uh, I had a really big buck I'd been hunting in Illinois in 2019, I think, maybe 2018. And I had that thing coming at dark, and it didn't bed, but it was feeding on acorns super slow, like you said. And and I got stuck in the tree stand for like two hours after dark because I didn't yeah. want to spook it out of there. And I probably still did, but it was really hot. It was like 80 degrees when I was hunting then. So getting the hide off of it when you're that far back is pretty important. Cool. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's kind of interesting is like, you know, look at your state's regs and make sure you're doing what's legal. But I, I wish that it was, uh, I understand the CWD thing, not wanting to leave any spinal tissue or anything in the, at the side of the kill, but you can still get around that by bringing that out it, even quartered. Yep. Um, yep. but yeah, so that's kind of interesting to me because everybody's all about drags and game carts. And honestly, that probably gives people heart attacks more than it should. <laughs> oh my gosh. I agree. Yeah. But all right, well, let's. Let's go into yours, uh, shooting another bull for the second year in a row. Well, before we do that, why don't, why don't we do some takeaways from yours, highs and lows? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, my takeaway. Wrap it up. So you got you got the you got the court or the cut in half deer out, and then uh, you dealt with it probably on your own at home. I'm guessing. Yep, yep. Out registered, and then I had to actually cut that thing up pretty quick because uh yeah i was headed out to colorado in a few days so yeah well that's awesome so that's- that thing, yeah cwd tested and cut up and at the taxidermist in three days i think not bad not bad yeah that's awesome man it's a, it's a great great uh end of the season and the history of it and and i mean obviously you would never want to wound any deer but having that leading yeah. up to it makes it that much sweeter I mean, mm-hmm. um, getting back on the horse and not just getting back on the horse by regaining confidence, shooting a doe or anything like that. Like, I mean, you, you killed a, a really good public land buck, uh, in a, in a pretty, you know, high pressured area of the state. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and yeah. I still am pumped for you, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, my, my true takeaway of the whole thing, like, Oh, I was I like, I didn't even have to tell anybody. I told you guys, I told you know, everything, my family, everybody that was important. And I'm like, I, it was just, 
oh, it just felt so good. You ever achieve something and then it just like, I don't even need to, I just want to take the time to reflect by myself. Like this is the greatest thing that happened, how it happened, you know, a mature buck like that and everything. I was, I was just so grateful for everything aligning because another kind of takeaway is like attention to detail. You know, there's so many small things that have to align for you to shoot a mature whitetail, especially on public. Um, and I'm just grateful that I've definitely had some luck on my side that deer, you know, it was a first time sitting in that area that deer didn't have to travel with that little buck or it, it played out perfectly how I thought, but that usually never happens. Not a lot, you know, and my shot was perfect. He got up. I accidentally probably made enough noise for him to just get curious to raise up. Otherwise he might've sat there till dark till past dark. So, I mean, that was another lucky thing. And I, yeah, I just so grateful that I was able to actually kill and harvest and get that meat because who love me some early season whitetail. I got some thick fat on the back. It had a lot of fat and I'm like, Ooh, this is what it's all about. Nice. Yeah. Um, I actually had a question about your shot. So when, when he stood up was, so he was staring right at you. Did, mm -hmm. did you compensate at all for a string jump or no? No, I did not because I was so close and I looked at that, I looked at that film, like now I still look at the film and, you know, you always try to learn from your mistakes. I try to learn from those wounds I, and sometimes you gain stuff and sometimes it's like, what did I do? Or I don't know. Like sometimes you're lost like that yeah. one white tail I wounded. Um, I think the larger the animal, the less string jump, especially at 20 yards, 18 yards. Yeah. Cause he totally didn't know I was there, but right when I kind of just whoop, you could see his head like cock towards where I was and locate yeah. me. And luckily, I mean, I had a lot of trees behind me breaking up my silhouette because I was I was sitting above the bluff and so I could get clean air to blow it off. But um I did not I put it put it I went up right up shoulder to the heart and I put it just a hair above to give me a little compensation and I hit right there right above the heart, double lunged. Um yeah, perfect shot. That, that's that's something too. I was wondering. So that was a double lung shot, and that deer was still alive fifteen mm -hmm. minutes afterwards. See, that's what I learned too. Is I, double lung shot when I gutted that deer, the cavity was still intact, and there was an arrow lodged in its both lungs and stuck halfway through on the other side. And that deer still pass what pass. That's why pass throughs are nice. But that deer still lived for fifteen minutes pat, after I shot him. Yeah. So, I bet I mean, you any money. He, he bedded down to try to compress his lungs to keep blood in and air. And then they were bleeding inside. And then he's like, one last get up and run to death. Yeah. And he fell down the hill. Yeah. So that's that's a huge thing that we, you know, we're not a tactics type of podcast here. We like telling stories. But you could delve totally into after shot, what do you do? Because that is almost as important as what you do before the shot in a lot of instances, as you will find out with my elk story coming up next. Mm -hmm. But um, my takeaways from this is, uh, well, first of all, persistence, Ryan, you know, um, totally. starting out the season on two, you know, you did every everything, pretty much everything right you could do on the mule deer hunt, including after you shot that deer and, and tried to find that deer for two, what, two days? Two days, I, I, you know, I spoiled the rest of the hunt because I'm like, I want that deer. Yeah. Even if he's alive, I'm going to try to get on him. And I'm like, whatever. I punched my tag because yeah. that was a beautiful buck. Yep. 
And then the second one, um, you know, we don't really know what went wrong there, but like uh, what I was gathering from this, I mean, the second one, you did everything right. It seemed like don't know why the deer didn't die. That's like just bad luck. But so you had a season where you, your game was like top notch and basically you got shots on three mature animals on public land and in three different situations, which I think is pretty badass. I mean, obviously the first two you, you, you wish you could have back, but persistence, like don't get down in the dumps. Like, I mean, you did, you know, just keep to your guns and, and understand that you're doing the right thing and learn, learn what happens at the shot. But like, a lot of people might have just given up after that kind of an experience and you didn't, but, um, to get yourself in those situations, I think that, uh, one of the big things we just talked about that I, I would stress too, and what I do is don't, don't do the obvious access when you're hunting whitetails on public land, you know, like, it doesn't even need to be that ridiculous. I mean, you want to you want to find the best way to approach the animal, and it doesn't doesn't matter what that is. You want to find the best way to approach the animal. Like this morning in the spot I'm in, I have to cross some water, and instead of walking down this backside that I know that they bed up in there and everything, I'm following that water for half a mile downstream to cut across and leave the minimal amount of ground scent and come in where the wind is still pulling my scent down that river. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and like you said, it took you an hour and a half to get in there. I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of people, especially if you're crunched for time, people are like, Oh, I'll have this time to hunt right after work. And then you just like charge in there and it's pretty much not even worth going because these yeah. deer are very tuned into how people use areas and they, they adjust for that. So you said there is an access route right near that deer and he was probably sitting there. And if someone was going to come hunt that, that night, that thing and, and that other deer, would have seen them walking in and they probably have it tuned too, where they don't get up until they know that there's probably not anybody coming in. That's a lot of times what a deer move at dark is that's when they're not either someone's already in a tree stand or there's nobody coming. So like yeah. they're not yeah. getting pushed around. And then the ground scent thing is huge too. Cause I don't know how many times that I've come into my tree stand and, um, if you walk straight across the shooting lane to the tree stand, you're, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, at some point you might have to cross where the deer are going to cross at some area. I try to make it as far away from the tree stand as possible. So if they do happen to smell me they they, they don't, they don't blow out of my immediate shooting area. They might, if I'm like 400 yards that way, where I cross where their travel route is, then they might, you know, smell me, but then they might circle around and come, still come through that area. So, uh, yeah, one, one thing to interject on the ground scent, luckily I was walking on the edge of that trail and I actually took a leap. I'm six, four, 200 pounds, college athlete. I took a leap onto a log that was in this thick wash that he probably crossed and didn't even smell me. Yeah. yeah I leaped onto this log and then walked the log all the way to where I set up, which I think helped me big time. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've, it took me a while to learn this, but how many times I've walked into my stand and then deer are coming in ready to get sh- get a shot on them and then they put their nose right in the ground and then they get alert and they walk off or run off. And, and yeah. I, it, it, it's, not like, uh, it's not like they're going to wind you from your ground scent, but if they put their nose anywhere near it, then they will smell you. So even, even like you said, I will hop across a deer trail. Like I'll, yeah. I'll like get almost a running start. I like take a quick step and 
push off like totally. I'm, you know, stepping over something and I'll get four or five feet where my feet don't hit mm-hmm. the ground. And that's probably yeah. enough that they're not going to like stick their nose down and smell you. But especially if you're walking in and you rub like your hand or your arm on like some yeah. grass. <laughs> like, yeah. they, and this is, th- this is, I mean, elk and mule deer do the same thing, I would say, but like the, the way to hunt them is so different. It's on such a big landscape that like the chances of them crossing where you stepped are pretty low, but in the yeah. whitetail woods, it's really close quarters. And, and, Honestly, like where they travel is probably some of the easier ways to get through the thick stuff. So that's where you mm-hmm. got to go. And, and yeah, you, I, I'm very cautious of where I put my feet and I'm very cautious of how I access an area as far as noise and wind and, and vision go. Um, like yeah. this morning, the place I go this morning, it's those deer don't get there normally until middle of the day, like 10, 30, 11 AM. I still go in there before light because normally they're up on this bluff feeding. And every time I've gone in there and learned the hard way, every time I've gone in there at like noon for an evening sit, I won't see any deer because they're, they can see you. And and then they come down in their bed. And if you come in the middle of the day, then they'll smell or hear you and leave. And that's ruined for the day. So I, I will sit that before dawn for an afternoon hunt, which seems kind of crazy, but I've killed two nice bucks out of there in the last two years. But anyways, so doing the extra work and understanding the animal and not just walking straight into a place. Um, the only time that I feel like you can get away with that is during peak rut. Cause you can, you can make noise and it, if they know it's a person, they might still be back in there if there's does, but a lot of times deer are making a lot of noise and if they don't see you or smell you, they just think it's a deer. Yeah. If you, and well, I mean, you walk in like a deer too. stop, stop, you know? So, I think that that was a big thing, especially when you're hunting an October buck that's in a bedding area like you were in the afternoon. That approach is the make or break, in my opinion. I, I think one two one thing too that early October into September, now they felt the hunting pressure. Those deer probably move only a hundred yards from their bed, and that was definitely the two the two cases that I wounded that one, and now I shot this other one. Probably uh three and a half and now a four and a half those deer did not move fast and they did not move far from their bed before it got dark and that's what makes them big you know and yeah and you got to put all those stack those little things in your favor access wind everything to to get it done yeah and be you got it done you it. yeah you got <laughs> it done right. it's awesome well i think that I mean, that's a great story of success there for the fall. We're going to go into mine here pretty quick. Um, it's going to be a part two of this fall success. The first one's the yep. buck. The second one's the bull. Uh, and some of the same kind of things uh, played into it, more like the aftershock kind of stuff is uh, kind of uh, something that is similar. I guess not totally similar, but it, it kind of connects to what we're talking about with a few things that you touched on in your hunt. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the part one of a two-part series of our fall successes. That was beginning with my uh, Minnesota public land buck, and we'll roll in next week into Rubens, Montana bull elk hunt. See a few successful as well. Stay tuned.